If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to rate us five stars, shop at our merch store, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Special thanks to our patrons, M. Trichkovsky and Tony Irons. To become a patron, go to patreon.com slash what's my thesis. He based his whole economy on the fact that the sun gave off energy without return. Mm-hmm. Like it was like a pure gift with, that you could not return. Participating in Mona Vista projects, like I didn't make any money on that. That was yeah. it was a it was a loss. Like my art, you know, every once in a while I'll sell a painting, but overall it's a loss. I yeah, mean, and that's the whole scene to, to that me, I'm documenting. That's a potlatch. That's yeah. a it's a gift to the world that I don't really even expect a return on. I don't know if that and I'm I just, that benevolent with the podcast. I mean, I can't. I just I can't help doing it. I can't. Yeah. I can't not that I make can. art. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, if even if I'm never compensated monetarily for it it's not the point for yeah. me it's like I, I just can't help doing this it just comes out of me welcome to what's my thesis i'm your host javier proenza every week my guests and i share the answers we found to the questions we have join us as we explore and expand our worldview and ask what's my thesis and today my guest is justin michelle uh, how are you doing, Justin? Good. How are you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. We've uh, we know each other. You were a member of Monte Vista Projects. Mm-hmm. You have uh, left on terrible terms. We all hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it has become a Justin Michelle. <laughs> it was a really great experience being part of Monte Vista. I really appreciate that there's like a vibrant artist-run community of spaces in in LA and. Uh, I definitely want to keep being part of that. I do resent the fact that you say Vista, and now I feel like a fucking fake Latino. Because <laughs> I say Mana Vista. Yeah. I say Los Feliz, too. Uh, yeah, no, I, that, that, I, that I can't fucking abide. I can't say I bet. I've been here 20 years. You can't say yeah, Los yeah. Feliz anymore. What's your background? Uh, Are you from L.A.? No. Uh, it, no. I grew up in, near Philadelphia. Near Philadelphia? Yeah, it was... Um, Kind of in the process of turning from uh, like a lot of Mennonite farms where I grew up to kind of sprawl of Philadelphia by the time I left. Um, and so it's probably unrecognizable to when I was a kid now because it's all like I guess LA is kind of like the model city, unfortunately, for a lot of places where it just becomes sprawl of one, oh, of yeah. one node that just keeps spreading out. Where I grew up is kind of becoming like that of Philadelphia. I think that that is just kind of like the lazy American way of building shit where it's just like, eh, fuck it. <laughs> horizontal creep. <laughs> yeah. What, what city did you grow up in? Uh, Rome. Oh, okay. So, but, which is like, it's still pretty big. Yeah. It's, but you can, you can walk it. I spent uh, like half a year there when I was in college. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Did you know Carl also uh, got his origins in in Rome? Yeah, we we went to the same undergrad school, but we were there at different times. Oh, okay. So, it was definitely an influence on me. So I can see, I can see it a little bit in in the work, like spending a five months <laughs> over there. <laughs> All right, man. So we definitely have a topic today because you were getting into it a little bit when I saw you the other night, and I was like, I was like, God damn. Someone who calls himself a leftist, I am such oh. an idiot, and I don't know any of this shit. Are we still doing the? If you want, stuff? we can. We could talk about uh, uh, like Amadeo Bordigo, maybe or something. Okay, all right. I I find him interesting because he's kind of not that many people who aren't terminally online 
<laughs> know who he is, I think. Okay. But he was the, the first, um, he founded the uh, Italian Communist Party mm-hmm. in like 1922 or 27 or something like that. And he um, was eventually pushed out of the leadership uh, by order from Moscow and replaced with um, Gramsci, who's a lot more well-known than he is. And uh, he was a militantly internationalist, but, but not a Trotskyist, which is unusual, because usually when you hear internationalist communists, you think mm. of Trotsky. But he was not a Trotskyist. He, um, I probably couldn't get too into the difference between them, because I'm not that much about Trotsky. But he was uh, basically the last member of the Comintern, the, the third international, to tell Stalin to basically fuck off to his face and live to, to tell about to it. To tell and about it. Not get assassinated because he was in fascist prisons for most of the 1930s. And Well, that's a, the, the, the one thing I do know is that uh, Mussolini was inspired by, uh, he was a leftist originally, right? Yeah, I think he was like an anarcho-syndicalist or something weird yeah, like he, that. Which he used is... to write for like a some leftist paper or some shit, and then yeah. he he like, but he took inspiration from it. And it there was some I forget exactly what the quote was, but there was some Marxist quote that he just completely turned into like, oh yeah, we should just fucking go to war all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, like the complete opposite of like Leninist revolutionary yeah. defeatism. But well, what do you know? What do you know about Lenin? I guess Lenin, to me, is interesting because he, he, he was, led the, the, I guess, possibly only communist revolution in the 20th century that, was, that made a point of being internationalist, which means, like, I keep going back to that term because uh, Bordiga's big beef with Stalin, I guess, was involved a couple different things, but it, it involved, among other things, um, this idea of that like you could build socialism in a single country, mm-hmm. which to him was completely nonsensical, basically, because capitalism is a world economic, political economic system. Mm-hmm. And to, to, re, to replace that, you would need another world economic system. So to the idea that you could be an isolated country surrounded encircled by hostile forces and build socialism in a single country is kind of was completely absurd to Bordiga. And and seems played out pretty effectively by like it, you know Latin American <laughs> policy. Yeah, I mean basically he he, I, he didn't come up with the, the idea of like state capitalism because even Lenin referred to like the, the NEP the new economic policy. Mm-hmm. L- Lenin called that state capitalism. So okay. it's not like if you're a, a Orthodox Leninist, it shouldn't even really be that controversial to refer to the Soviet Union as state capitalism. But at the same time, you have someone like Stalin claiming that you you're building socialism in a single country, or that like oh okay okay that would make so, so the state capitalism would make it exclusively local. Well, it would be it would almost be like the state functions as the de facto monopolistic capitalist. Okay, because there really wasn't. So, um, uh, so, oh, so that speaks to the the thing that people say that like it wasn't necessarily a Marxist. Yeah, uh, yeah, and kind of points to the reason why because the Soviet Union was trading things like grain and steel on a world market as uh-huh. commodities. So you you're paying, you haven't gotten rid of wage labor. You're still paying workers in 
wages and then selling the products for a profit on the world market. And you're also competing militarily with, you know, hostile encircling forces. So you're kind of having to instill like Taylor's labor discipline, like all the, all the negative things that people don't like about being a wage slave were still, still in place there. Uh, Some theorists in the 20th century tried to make a case that um, the, the bureaucratic class in the USSR was a capitalist class. Uh, Bordiga didn't claim that. He thought it was kind of like even weirder. Like they weren't, because they, I mean, they had like maybe summer homes and like a higher pay grade, but they weren't, it wasn't quite the same thing as like owning the means of production. They were just sort of like managing the means of production for the, for the, for the state. state. So they, it was still somewhat oligarch. Plutocratic. I don't know. If with that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he didn't really spend too much time trying to describe exactly what type of government mm-hmm. it was, but he he thought it was almost like a headless kind of capitalism without a bourgeoisie. It was just yeah, it, it, like the bourgeoisie is the world bourgeoisie, and if you're um, you didn't even necessarily have to have a local one to for it to function. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, it, it would be like. You, like you could have a, um, like a co-op that's worker-owned, but it's still that's still a capitalist enterprise because it you're still calculating like this is not quite even boarding anymore. This is more like somebody like um, um, uh, Moshe Postone. He is like this value form theorist. So he, for him, like you, you have capitalism as soon as you have. You're you're calculating abstract value quantitatively and planning based on that, so, and you're still paying wages. So even if you like all owned a co-op, you're still it's it still has to run on the logic of like a capitalist firm, mm-hmm. because if you don't turn a profit, you still go under. It's not yeah, sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Well, it still um, floats within the global capitalist system. Right. So it's, then that it's goes not back a, to... If you try to be an uh, isolated island in that, then it sort yeah. of inevitably kind of like recuperates what you're trying to do and, and causes you to act based on the incentivized logic of, of maximizing return on investment of abstract value. So as opposed to like if you planned like your needs and planned the amount of like time and energy you would put in those as separate qualitative things like first you know like you're prioritizing certain things like everyone's Mm. fed or that's already operating on a different kind of logic than just we need to make a return on investment okay so i don't know like we're getting kind of in the weeds of no but that's terms but i guess it's interesting no no no. i i uh, um so do you know are you familiar at all with um with isaiah berlin's two concepts of liberty uh-huh. Okay, so basically to summarize it real briefly, it was um, basically the idea would be like negative freedom versus positive freedom. Negative freedom would be don't take things away from me, don't encringe on my space. There's like a every we we both have a bubble mm-hmm. in which we can't cross into each other's rights, but uh, and the but. And then the the positive sense of freedom is more has to has less to do with about who rules you, 
and more to do with what the services that they're giving you are, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it would be more like a monarchic system, right? Because mm-hmm. neg- a negative freedom is considered somewhat of a new concept because privacy, you know, we yeah. prima nocte, I'm sure is not an exciting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> concept to anybody who's married. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so like, so what I always find interesting about the US is that we're in a space where we have very much this concept of negative freedom mm-hmm. and at the same time we're losing privacy at this really fast rate yeah which shouldn't like if you have this individualistic idea of negative freedom you, yeah that should be protected on paper at all costs right but it's exactly. being eroded really quickly yeah i think that just shows that i mean that's that's a good segue because one thing that um is different about bordiga than other critics of Stalinism say is it wasn't so much based on like Lenin had this idea of democratic centralism which is how the the party was was a run mm-hmm. like if you were part of the party like they, they you know they didn't allow uh competing non-worker parties in in that would be in their own terms uh to to have a say in the USSR like they they um you know I forget what the parties were in 1917, but, you know, like you had like the uh, Mensheviks and like the various like parties that wanted to stay in World War One and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they obviously didn't, there wasn't like this open free competition between different political parties in the USSR. Like they, they quickly reduced the number down to like a few token ones and one that actually ruled. Yeah. But within the party, Lenin had this idea that as long as you were part of the party, you, there there should be like a give and take between the center and the base. And he called that democratic centralism. And they still, mm-hmm. you know, had votes, uh, you know, um, to see who would be like officials or whatever. But uh, Bordigo is really critical of de- of the idea of democracy itself. And he had... Um, this idea of like what do you call it organic centralism which was based on like kind of keeping central tenets of the party's philosophy intact without drifting off into what he considered opportunism you know what i mean like it, and there were what party could that be yeah. <laughs> could that describe in the present day <laughs> yeah. but like he was really against any like united fronts that was a big thing in the 30s because i guess i mean a lot of soviet history to me after lenin's gone or even before um lenin really believed that germany was gonna have a successful communist revolution and they would link kind of with the soviet wave and he thought that you know russia and that area that became part of the soviet union um that was beyond just russia but he thought that would be maybe fourth or eighth in importance in world revolutionary events in his lifetime Mm -hmm. like he expected the main thrust of it to be the most industrialized parts of the world which is also what marx predicted it and it didn't really turn out that way like that would have been like germany Germany. and kind of england but the marx and engels had i um at times would be critical of england because they thought maybe the workers were given so many um uh reforms and and placated there by like a kind of the fruits of imperialism that they would maybe not be revolutionary which turned out to be true Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the only reason but 
Um, but I mean, that kind of was true everywhere. Like the, Germany had the biggest socialist party in Europe. And when World War One came around, um, you know, it completely did an about face on its stance on war and supported World War One, which was, you know, complete abandonment of internationalism. Yeah. You know, it was uh, Lenin's idea was that you, you know, this idea of revolutionary defeatism, like you, you didn't support your own government in a war unless it was a dictatorship of the proletariat. Like you, you know what I mean? Like that was. What's a dictatorship of the poet? Like that seems like a oxymoron because I don't understand the term. Well, the way Marx used it, his, his model for that was the Paris commune. Okay. So in, in 1871 in, in Paris, the workers took over the whole city of, of uh, Paris and they had, they ran it through, workers councils so it would be like it, it, i guess you would call that like direct democracy nowadays that would um you know each as opposed to representative yeah i mean they would send they, they would be like a series of tiered councils where everyone would start off in one and in your workplace or your local area or wherever and you would make decisions and instead of a representative each one of those would send a delegate to a higher um tier councils um and those delegates were unlike representatives they were recallable at any point in time like immediately like and they weren't there to they were just there to sort of relay the decisions that the they had lower no tier agency. council was making yeah so it was very like bottom up mm -hmm. like you know structure of of direct democracy that um by the time you got to the central council it was it was all made up of delegates from the other councils. So how big was the Paris commune? It was basically the, the whole city. It was during a, a war between, I, th I guess, I think Prussia and France mm -hmm. and the French uh, bourgeoisie had already kind of more or less surrendered. And oh, this, oh. the city of Paris was like, <laughs> fuck that. You know, we're going to, you're not going to take us over. Why does so much of this shit sound so familiar? And, yeah. <laughs> and so they, you know, they took over Paris and held it for a few months. And then um, the, finally the uh, French government came in and like helped the Prussians slaughter all the communards, the, the workers who had, were part of the workers' councils. Okay. So it was a, ended in a bloodbath. But, um, for Marx, that was the, the so far best example of like how his, you know, preferred system would work. Okay. Which is very unlike any of the 20th century, like, quote unquote, communist states, how they ran. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, the thing is that like, capital is so corrupting, right? Mm. <laughs> so it, it, it it would, it would capitalism doesn't like a vacuum it finds a way in really yeah. quickly if there's any kind of um well it's just so easy to, i mean like you could just all you have to do is set a couple of people right like you don't have to buy everybody that's what is so powerful about it yeah right or and and things are uh, things are made globally now even yeah. more so than when all this was first theorized um, there's a um a theoretical group called Theory Communiste, something like that. It's French, and they they have this uh, 
idea called the, the glass floor where it's the, the, the basic idea is like it's a, it, it's hard to even seize the means of production locally because everything is manufactured globally and what do you you know like mm-hmm. if you're making things in um france say but the product is like a, from a cobalt mine in africa and it's shipped it's like partially assembled somewhere else then yeah. ha- like in order to seize the means of production you're gonna have to like have a, a whole supply chain basically that you would seize it's, yeah. and it's really like there's no there's currently no internationalist or international labor movement and you know there's there's maybe hints of it here and there every once in a while a little bit but um you know it it hasn't been organized like labor isn't the flip side of that that's interesting though is when you go into places like venezuela and you see how like people treat have you seen the videos of juan Guaido like having his clothes ripped off of him by like <laughs> and fucking bar, you know where it's like that guy i don't know what the fuck the incentive was for to for that guy to be that guy <laughs> yeah. but that guy is fucked because <laughs> yeah. now we need Silver their oil yeah. yeah i mean i don't wish anyone any like he's a fucking puppet like I, it's, yeah. it's 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 i don't get excited for his suffering i want the fucking people responsible right. but it but it is crazy to just see that right like where it's like the um when you're outside of the sheen of like the american mm-hmm. imperialist sort of thing and you actually get a look at like like uh pelosi <laughs> someone asked her something and, and she goes who <laughs> about about guaido oh, God. she goes yeah. like what about do you guys still recognize juan guaido is he gonna be at the i think it was like with the uh, thing in the yeah. america the council of the americas that was just a shit show because mm-hmm. no one showed up uh but yeah it's fucking hilarious because i mean th- see th- that is my experience of like all of this stuff, I don't know like the Russian origins. I know mm. shit, dick about Lenin, and I, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's so to me, this is all interesting. I mean, in some ways, I think it's only there's a limited use in trying to go back to like the early 20th century and, and pinpoint like this is the place where it went off the rails. Oh like, no, I don't think you know I, mean? I didn't feel like that's what you were doing. I think yeah. this is more like a I, part of me has a has a urge to do that all oh, the time. Okay. So I have to, you know, I have to. I like to go back there because that's when shit was like crazy, weird, utopian, yeah. you know? And like, I yeah. think that like, you look at like the fucking communes in this country from like the sixties mm. and then like you go like farther back and you think <laughs> about how fucking crazy those are probably. Yeah. And like, there were some, I like cults. I, I mean, I don't like them. Yeah. But they're I, interesting. Interesting. And yeah. there's got, there's like, there is a level of groupthink when you're trying to break from something in it, mm. you know, not that a commune is automatically a cult, but yeah, you know, they do have that term new religion sometimes, which yeah. it's anybody interesting. that uses that is a fucking cult. Like as far as the US has a long history of religious communes. Yeah. I mean, even before there was such a thing as Marxism, there was a communist movement in the United States and they were mostly religious. They were, they were mostly from Germany. Um, you had people like um, Onida and Amana were like compounds. They actually were so successful that they became corporations and they still exist today. Amana makes refrigerators and Onida makes cutlery. Oh. But they were religious uh, communes from Germany. They, I think they were both from Germany um, in the like mid-1800s. 
There's a there's a huge Spanish company too. I think that is also a commune that is Mon Mondragon or something. Maybe I don't know. You would probably know better than me. Uh, I just I I I just know I can hear Richard Wolf's. <laughs> now you gotta. Un- I can't even yeah. fucking do it. It's so off. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's kind of like a co-op. Like to me, that's still it's a yeah. it's a more it's an attempt to be a more fair capitalist enterprise, which. I mean, given the choice between that and like just yeah. full throttle like exploitation, sure, why not? But I, I don't. Well, but that's interesting because okay, the uh, I bring up um, what's his name, Richard Wolf, because mm. he does talk a little bit about how like the reanalysis. He he touches a little bit about what of what you said about how it was just state capitalism, right? Mm. If you're isolated. And so he says that now people are going back and reinterpreting or re- like reanalyzing Marxism being like, this is what he actually meant. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm misremembering. He focused it a little bit more on worker co-ops. And that's actually how I heard about that Spanish company. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you feel like that's actually still within the capitalist system as opposed to. Yeah. And, and it's understandable why that would be desirable, because if you can. If your only two options are to to be a capitalist or be exploited by one, most people would rather be the capitalist, even if it's saying, like a, a cooperative group form yeah. of that. Okay, you know, like at least you're benefiting off of your own labor more. But Marx was really critical of uh, this guy LaSalle, whose whole political. Um, that Thru- shit thrust of his LaSalle, I don't know why, but he, that's a fucking yeah. huge Cuban name. Uh, <laughs> but his whole thing was he wanted to have everyone be paid equally for their work. Okay. And which makes some intuitive sense, but Marx was really uh, r- mercilessly made fun of him because for various reasons, like just the idea that you... um that you wouldn't have any surplus value. You couldn't even like make roads or grow a, a firm. Like if, if you still had a, had the firm, you still had the company structure, you can't, I don't know. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't go into the weeds of this because it's like okay. nitpicking, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, I, so then what would, what like do the, you think a true socialist, sorry, before, let me ask a question. You can work it in. Yeah, yeah. What do you think a true socialist system would look like today? I guess it, like the best, if you're going, if you're going, are we adding the French, uh, comp, the Paris compound? Yeah, comment? sure. I mean, that was also isolated and surrounded by hostile forces. And to some degree, I think even Bordia, um, conceded that. A, a, dict- a dictatorship of the proletariat locally, like in a single country, would probably have to engage in some kind of like state capitalist venture and tread water until it was able to link up with a larger wave of world revolution. So in some ways, it's like, it's not, it's less about like blaming a particular figurehead for how things turn out than just acknowledging that that is what happens when you attempt mm-hmm. such a thing as like a paradoxical thing as socialism in well, one country. A, it it sort of sounds like to some extent though there has to be like because like okay 
over here in this country, we're obsessed with the concept of fascism, right? Mm -hmm. Like every kind of, it's almost like the only type of authoritarianism that we acknowledge, which is odd because we are fucking fascist, right? Like, uh, to some, well, I mean, the way that we treat other Yeah, countries. I mean, I guess it depends how, like, how specifically historical you want to be about, like, what that term means. I mean, if it's just well, like I mean, a in terms of kind of belligerent, warlike capitalism that trods over people's well i mean i would say that i would say neoliberalism is intrinsically right wing right mm. and then and and so i think that if you look at sort of specifically italian fascism how it came about it was because of the liberals were just fucking feckless assholes mm -hmm. that that it was they were neoliberals at the at the time too and they just fucking conceded like there was violence and whatnot but at the same time like we had a similar, like, we're very much on that precipice, so I understand people's anxiety about mm -hmm. it. But if you actually, like, talk to somebody about their imperialist tendencies, in this country, there is a huge ultra-nationalist mm. uh, sentiment, yeah. which is, like, specifically, like, not just nationalism, but, like, everybody got to fucking play by America rules, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that is intrinsically fascist. That, like, I, I would definitely say that. Um, so maybe specifically in terms like we don't have like a dictator, mm -hmm. you know, in terms like that, but in, uh, you know, like fucking. Yeah, I guess the term dictatorship of the proletariat's tricky because people are like, that's a, it's a dictatorship. And it's, it's basically what Marx thought was that all states were some sort of class dictatorship. So mm -hmm. I would say like every country in the world today probably is a class dictatorship of the bourgeoisie mm -hmm. every capitalist country is a class dictatorship did you ever hear uh mussolini like once he got really because I, I know and there was like a period where he was not like he was not not aloof to the nazis because they were fucking neighbors mm -hmm. but he wasn't they were like he wasn't put bringing in concentration camps and whatnot yeah well i mean italian fascism wasn't explicitly based on like a racist ideology in the same way that yeah Nazism i mean was. i mean they had yeah, they had it, people they, who, they were still fucking racist let's be clear there were still right. some like because there were ghettos and whatnot like yeah. they, we do we don't want to it, it, full erasure but the main thrust i think was more of this imperialist attitude of and yep. if and and if you go like uh, i've tell this a lot but the at when you go to stadio olimpico in italy and in, in rome which was i don't know if they still play there but roma because i think they were changing stadiums but roma used to play there mm -hmm. and um you go in there and it's part of this complex that mussolini built and it has all these mosaics on the floor of uh ethiopia which who, which is a country that had never been fucking conquered mm -hmm. <laughs> but like one of the only african countries and then, you know, they're celebrating the fact that they conquered, you know, with tanks and airplanes, all of that, like, typical fascist architecture mm -hmm. uh, leading into this stadium. And when he talks about, like, the American system, and please be careful with what I'm about to say, because I'm not saying I am for fascism, okay? <laughs> but his analysis as he's giving a speech to the um, to the Nazis, mm. once once it once they, they took the bad turn and they started to have the fucking concentration camps, and they were like, because like the Nazis had to bail fucking Italy out of uh, Eritrea or uh, of not Eritrea of out of uh, Ethiopia because mm -hmm. they were not fucking engineers and their tanks were shit, yeah. right? They had aspirations to fucking <laughs> be this like modern 
country, which is like it, which is why I really like the futurists as a point of reference because mm. they just show how fucking naive you got uh, uh, Marinetti talking about like drinking ditch water mm-hmm. from like that has run off from a factory and <laughs> and he's yeah. like oh we should drink this this will make us stronger like right <laughs> like just this fucking complete naive yeah. nationalist uh thing yeah. um but but yeah when you listen to his analysis like he's like he, he calls it a plutocracy he calls the united states a plutocracy mm-hmm. and there is something interesting about the fact that these other countries already had their empire, right? Like the yeah. the British Empire was already a thing, right. you know. So these countries, like if you listen to, like they just they're like we want to be like everybody else, which is fucked up. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, one of the most controversial things about Bordiga was that he um, took a, a revolutionary defeatist stance towards in World War Two. Yeah, which a lot of people were like, that's too far. Like yeah. even like for him. The Soviet Union calling for like united fronts that w- worked with bourgeois parties, you know, that worked with like liberal parties and social democrats, like that was already opportunism for him. Yeah. Like he, you, you weren't supposed to do any class collaboration, which is another reason why a lot of like he's part of kind of like the left communist current, which uh, there was, uh, you know, there's that Leninist pamphlet lenin's pamphlet uh from one of the congresses of the the third international called left-wing communism an infantile disorder where he kind of calls out different people and it's like uh anton panikok from i'm probably going to butcher all these names from uh um the netherlands i think he was from and uh herman gorder was like a german left communist and he briefly mentions like Bordiga in that, um, but he actually praises him because he says he's better than Togliatti, who was like another. Uh, what uh, happened to him after he got taken out of the? Uh, what was it that, that that he got replaced by the other guy? Yeah, he he got replaced by Ant- Antonio Gramsci. From uh, what? He was also. They were both part of the Italian Communist Party. But but, but oh so 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 Moscow word from Moscow came down, you know basically. The, the the third international the common turn was it, it was created to be the kind of um nerve center of the world communist movement and to kind of lead a world revolutionary wave mm-hmm. right you had the first international that um marx was part of and then the second international that he kind of split with what he called utopian socialism and then the third international was the one that lenin was instrumental in building and so the, the point of that was to, to be, you know, again, Lenin's idea of like democratic centralism was supposed to have input from all of the communist parties of the world in order to lead a world revolution. Mm-hmm. That was the idea of it. And the common turn was disbanded. It is dissolved, I think, during World War II or shortly after by Stalin. And uh, some people argue that it was mostly to appease his the allied forces to appease uh roosevelt churchill because those were you know russia's or ussr's allies at Mm. that time which basically put a stake in the heart of the entire you know having a body that would would be where all the communist parties of the world centralized yeah so like if you were interested in like an international world revolution dissolving the common turn would be like 
the absolute last thing you would want to do. But yet, I mean, by that time, it was already being used as like a, instead of, uh, Bordega thought that the Soviet Union and any country, any isolated aspiring dictatorship of the proletariat that was supposed to be part of a revolutionary wave, he thought that the common turn should be the the main authoritative body of that, mm. not the party of of that country. But so the, like, the entire common turn would would run the USSR, which is if you if you think about a world where that would have happened, that's a very different way of conceiving of like what so it's the world it's a little, communist party's role were to to enacting in so concert. Then it's a, so let me paraphrase to see if I understand. So it sounds like what you're saying is that. Let's uh, use states and federal as a as an analogy. Is that what mm. we're talking about? Like sort of like in, decentralizing the power of party or centralizing the power of the parties, but having a one authority. So like all these countries respond to that council. Yeah, well, they they would all have input into it. Okay. So, so as uh, opposed oh. to what happened was that the USR USSR to Bordigo became like a basically a Russian nationalist project, mm. and and things came from moscow out and i mean that's what happened to him he got he had the popular majority of his own local italian communist party and yet moscow was able to sort of by fiat just replace him against the wishes of the bulk of his of his party which is but what you're saying is that the 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 ideal would have been the other way around now he would go into the council and then change the council that right like think about the authority to change him yeah and and bordigo was even critical of of even democratic centralism like he kind of didn't really care about the idea of even democracy itself which is, is highly controversial even among like communists so yeah but um he was pretty hardline in that way but interestingly he his preferred like structure would have been more democratic than having the the central committee of the Soviet Union's Politburo determine policy for the entire world communist parties yeah. and even force them to do things that you know he thought were already opportunism like forcing them to be in united fronts with liberal parties and social democratic parties like to him that to Bordiga that was already like opportunism and you're losing the thread of like what what you're trying to do is it you know in terms of um that influence right that top-down influence how much how big it's tricky though because like when you say top down or decentralized that's not quite it because the common turn was still supposed to be no no i know no, but nerve. how it how yeah, it how just... it actually played out yeah, you yeah. know like the reality we're, uh-huh. we're uh so like how big because obviously the soviet bloc was pr- rather large mm-hmm. but then there were other you know there's cuba right and there's other countries like that right yeah. where we're we're overthrowing dictatorships quote unquote if you can't see the wait who is uh the u.s oh okay you know in latin america <laughs> right yeah like air quotes air quotes uh dictatorships uh and i mean they they were arguably anyway i mean they like i think most of the it, you know as soon as you have this idea that you're building socialism in one country there's kind of there wasn't a lot of room for alternate models of 
in the 20th century. Like that sort of became the rubber stamp that everything, and they all became kind of like nationalist projects in a way. You know no, they I mean? were definitely not. But, but but more than my question is like, okay, we we're in this country we think of like, and to some degree, what you're describing, it does sound like ultimately, not necessarily world domination through like force, even though it does look like Russia was not against that with things like the war in Afghanistan and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But um, the like, how like how what percentage of the world? You know, because I know that there was like Jakarta was all there, there. There's it's almost like, okay, I think it was the guy from Jakarta who came up with the term third world, and mm -hmm. it wasn't supposed to be a negative, right? Yeah. It was supposed to be a third alternative to the bipolar world, the the U.S., Russia, and then the third world was supposed to be, mm -hmm. and then there's like this book called the Jakarta Method. I've seen uh, Glenn Greenwald interview the guy that wrote it. It's basically our fucking foreign policy playbook is entirely based on that. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Act of Killing, but that's basically about the horrible shit that people did to fight communism mm. through CIA, whatever. They don't, it doesn't cover like American influence on that. Mm. It just kind of talks about, like the movie itself just kind of talks. It's, it's an interesting thing where He's just making a documentary, retelling these people's stories, and as they tell the story, they realize that they are fucking monsters, right? Hmm. Um, and uh, like, and so it's so so that's more what uh, it seems like there was a separate uh, something separate that was leftist, maybe not even uh, dictatorship e uh, in the South Pacific. I, I mean, I, I don't expect you to know the difference between the, the second and third world in this context, right? But it does seem like there was a subset of countries that felt like they were getting behind mm -hmm. and getting left behind and started to, like, you know, take some of their own sovereignty into their own, you know, and maybe try to, like, do stupid shit, you know, mm -hmm. stupid destructive things like nationalize their own fucking re natural resources and whatnot. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming that that's some shit that happened in Jakarta, because that's pretty much the only re the main reason that we get involved in these things, other than mm -hmm. just to not make sure that there are no leftist countries. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. foreign policy is just basically to make the world safe for its own economic interest, right? I mean, that's well, I mean, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, I mean, so, so, that's I guess... an interesting one actually, because the the chess game is fucking. We got we're so repetitive with our fucking moves that russia was just like ah fuck you yeah. <laughs> you're buying shit in ru uh, yeah. in ruples now i guess that, that comes back to like what is imperialism like lenin uh described imperialism as again like a world system it wasn't so much that like the the winning countries are imperialists because like you know you look at world war one it's not that the forces at play there were all imperialist. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. there, like it's not like the it's underdogs. Varying degrees of imperialism. That's right. what the fucking fasc the fascists were trying to catch up. Right. They were they were the underdog imperialists who yeah, were yeah. aspiring to be imperialists, yeah. and so, it, uh, you know, imperialism to me is is just the dynamic that happens inevitably when capitalist nation states compete. But that, but that, it's, that's, but right? that's, but that's where I'm getting because, but, but because, there's, there's a kind of a different idea of what imperialism is, which is kind of departs from Lenin, which is that 
some countries have an imperialist relation to other countries that are also capitalist, which is kind of like, yeah, there's unequal exchange between countries, right? Some countries seem to be client states of another or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Like there's this idea that there's a whole branch of kind of communist thought called third worldism that is like, you know, analyzes they would be attached to this idea of like that there's a labor aristocracy like that workers in the first world say are participate and benefit from imperialism in in their sense of the word and it sort of precludes any real internationalist cooperation between workers in the first world and in the third world i think that's kind of like a little bit disastrous because yeah but then you for that so like that that's where you get into the fact that like nation states no longer are like nation states are slowly becoming more and more prisons rather than um than like a country that serves that provides you services right yeah if they ever were really meant to be that in the first place yeah. you know yeah or and, and you know the, the, i guess most of the left communist tradition is critical of all that of would be critical of third worldism and critical of like you know rosa luxembourg i guess was a lot more critical than even lenin was about like what is the role of of like national liberation movements and things like that because and a lot of like modern day uh left communism would also be critical of that because the the idea that you would critically support a, a, like an underdog capitalist country or even state capitalist country with red flag because they're supposedly anti-imperialist it's like no they're they're also bound by the logic of imperialism to compete in this kind of like world stage so then maybe it and it's w- kind of like a game of musical chairs to nowhere so then the distinction might be more of a militaristic imperialism versus an economic imperialism well the way lenin thought of imperialism was that it, it used debt and lending of capital as opposed to yeah but that's not what's happening having in this country necessarily like now right. what it is is it's just money going to uh in it like Literally all of our money goes to the military industrial complex upwards, right? Like mm. that, it, it, or, or, you know, or other industries. It's just a squeeze. Like we pay taxes not to get services. We get, mm. we pay taxes. Like, I mean, I, I, I would be very happy. I, I mean, I pay taxes, but I'm saying like, I would be more excited if I got shit out of it. But really, like, if you look at what happened with COVID and 19, that was a fucking massive giveaway. They shut down people's businesses. People like that was like a fucking hollowing out of the economy, sending money directly upwards. Yeah. So I, I, I think maybe that 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 might be you know, and this is just me talking shit, but maybe that might be, you might be onto something there in the sense that like maybe that's why we're starting to fall apart because if you look at countries like China, what they're actually doing is what Microsoft used to do, which mm-hmm. is give away their shit so that you're locked in. You know, you yeah, or the way that they. Uh, the, what they're doing in Africa is kind of like the Marshall Plan was after, like they're they're giving very low or zero 
But I think people are um, being able to pay those off a little bit easier than the Marshall Plan. That's why I was like, <laughs> maybe. But uh, like the principle is the same. Like you're you're lending to in order to. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's interesting about China is though is that though they are very repressive, there seems to be a lot of people that have gotten out of fucking poverty in an increase in in an insane way, mm-hmm. which is to say that. Maybe there's something to the fact that all manufacturing went over there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's capitalism. China right now is capitalism in a growth phase. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's they, which is why they don't have to be as um, militaristically um, aggressive because they're they have like like Germany in uh, before World War Two you know, one of the main Nazi talking points was like a Lebensraum, right? They needed to expand because they didn't, uh, didn't have a lot of space and they were already developed as they were going to be. But in order to compete on this world stage of inter-imperialist conflict, they had to expand. Mm -hmm. I mean, China is, has like a sixth of the world population and it's still, even after a couple, you know, a few decades of like after Deng Xiaoping, it's still, expanding industrially mm-hmm. or I, I, although that even that like there's and we're just becoming more and more of a service economy. i mean china even has rust belts now though yeah we, like because yeah, they're because yeah. they're now starting to it, industry there is starting to be outsourced to like other places you know mm-hmm. what i mean like surrounding countries so yeah, yeah. it's our um, china's not even it's it's well, impossible no, to call China like the third world even any, anymore. Oh no no no! It's no. not like no, not no. close. So I I never I don't actually know that I ever I ju- I just always saw them as really isol- isolationist. You know, like my my dad yeah. told me that when he went, they didn't speak English. Like when he when he would do it because he worked for the UN. When he would travel over there, he would have to have like someone write down the name of the hotel, and that like he wouldn't even talk. Because there was just like, that's how much of a gap there was. This is in the 80s, obviously, um, which is around when fucking normalized relations be, relations became finally normalized. So yeah. I guess that's like 40 years now. Yeah. You know? I guess, I mean, I think a lot of 20th century movements that called themselves communist movements were, it were in retrospect and often despite the intentions of the participants, what they really were were like developmental regimes to to very quickly industrialize fast enough to keep pace mm-hmm. and to not be taken over by a stronger imperialist power. Yeah. I mean that's basically you know it's almost it's like most of those places had some kind of rudimentary capitalist production already like Russia did but it, you know Russia and China were obviously vastly uh, majority peasant countries when they had their revolutions, right? They weren't, mm. there wasn't even like a much of a proper urban proletariat in those countries, but yet they're using Marx as a supposed like inspiration, but they were like the least likely places to Marx that, where revolution was going to break out because they didn't even have a proletariat yet. Yeah. Like they basically were created a proletariat in those countries. On a, on a massive scale that didn't exist and w- before. Those countries, that. just China or any any other country. Uh, yeah, Soviet Union, China, um, okay. 
Cuba. Oh, you mean all, like all, all, all aspiring almost, communists? Almost yeah. all of the 20th century communist movements Well, yeah, that, were, were that is started. one of the fucking ridiculous things that, that they try to do. And now that makes sense. Like, they try to... Because Cuba's economy is like sugarcane and shit like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And they really wanted to fucking industrialize. And that was a very, very bad ambition because they just weren't able to fucking do it ever. I mean, it's, it's understandable in a way because you... It's tied to the ideology. Or if, if you don't do that, then someone's going to take you over yeah. and you're going to be like, it's, it's not like, it's understandable why that happened, but it's, it, the question is like, how much does it have to do with a path toward a communist world? Like, well, that's to the, me, it's not that it's much. A, this whole conversation is just kind of difficult. It like, it's, it's like uh, one of those like fucking koans because it's like, it's yeah. like, yeah, how do you, how, how do you do that with, like, there's a couple of things. First of all, I was always like, or, you know, part of me is very much of the mind that, the you know, the Soviet Union threat was fucking massively overstated mm-hmm. by the U.S. They were never really a danger to us and all of that shit. Sure. They, were, they almost went out of their way to be friendly. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the fact that Stalin did dissolve the Comintern was like this massive gesture of like almost ass kissing churchill and roosevelt but and it it's does, still like they were still like the red menace you know what i mean like it does kind of make me understand a little bit because ideologically essentially it is very con it's even in the most idealist sense it's so anti-capitalist right like there's there doesn't seem to be room like if you want to be fucking part of the bourgeoisie there's it's terrifying as far as an ideology right yeah because it's coming for your neck if you're yeah. of, or i mean and global like <laughs> like in speaking in terms of not the nationalist you know uh like speaking in terms of the upwards dictatorship or the what's it called uh, dictatorship of the proletariat mm-hmm. which i still don't know how the fuck you would make that work I mean, I guess that's just the. You would have to kill all the capitalists, and then what do you make then? Then you become authoritarian in this weirdly fucking weird way. I know you're okay with it. (laughs) Well, I mean, at a certain point, you have to wonder what is in anyone's interest. Like, is it even in, like, if capitalism is literally going to destroy a livable environment for people to live in, is it really even in anyone's interest to keep it going? I mean. Like Frederick Engels was a factory owner, and he was a, like a class trader in a good way. Like he he was able to act in a way that, that you know attempted to make a better world. And I'm not like I, I you know the question yeah, of like the, violence terms, and and achieving things. I mean, in terms of incentives, though, like. Like yeah. I, I don't think the working class ever started a class war. There's always a class war going on. Economics oh, yeah, yeah, is war yeah. by other means. So it's like, do you have self defense, or are you just going to be like squashed by the current state of the world? I guess you know. I mean, to me, it's a, like class conflict is. But but I think that is, is inherently self defense for. Oh no, I'm d- I'm war. not yeah. against I I'm not against people rising up and murdering like you know uh, in a, a, in Minecraft you mean no not just in the real world just in for, in, in for legal some, reasons in some conceptual <laughs> like space where it uh, you know like when the Democrats are okay with it that's when I'm okay with it how about that mm. <laughs> that that should get me by with with the YouTube <laughs> yeah. no what what I'm not like. Look, dude, 
that's all rhetorical anyway, because the idea of fucking murdering someone for me is so difficult. Well, you know, I mean, so like, so, so just to be clear, yeah. like we do not condone murder. And if someone <laughs> fucking murdered anyone because of something I, I said, I would feel awful. That's not, but I, in the, in the terms of like rising up the proletariat, like, um, I don't have a conceptual problem with the French revolution. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't even be that worried today as a capitalist because there is no, well, there, there is no coherent yeah. world workers movement in existence right now. They're just, you might as well admit that there isn't because we have to start from at least looking at the world from a truthful place. And it's, you saw that we're allowed to be propagandized by our own government now, right? Since 2011. They, they, I just recently a story broke. I forget the details, so I'm sorry I bring it up without having being able to point you to the exact article, but it's pretty valid. Uh, it it, it um, and basically like it, Obama in 2011, up until then there had been a law that you could propagandize foreign governments, foreign countries. You could perform propaganda over there, and after 2011, that has uh, been not the case, which makes sense because if you look at how fucking Social media has been run hmm. in that last decade, and how it it gets tighter and tighter. It's insane. Yeah. But um, but that just kind of makes me feel like when you can't, when the oligarchy can no longer like take money from other people outside, right? Like, because basically this whole war is is about selling liquid gas. The hmm. the thing with Ukraine hmm. about us selling liquid gas. It's the same thing with Syria. It's about a fucking pipeline. It's all about energy, right? What I don't understand and I've never seen before is how, and they must know something that I don't, is how they're just dismantling American uni, uh, polar hegemony by going after this. They may think, they must think that there's something to gain after fucking with, with Russia to the extent that they are because obviously Ukraine is not going to win this war. I, I, it, they just don't have the resources to do it. They don't have the will. Uh, you, you know, I have to be careful what I say, but I'm going to only talk about the economics of the situation so that we don't have to talk about the politics of it. Uh, and I'm in no way endorsing, um, Putin. I'm just talking about how stupid America has been in its, uh, doing this. So basically, we, seized some assets once once uh, Vladimir Putin invaded. And some people have asked, like, hmm, didn't he expect that shit to happen? And he did. So once that happened, he was able to say, okay, we're no longer accepting uh, uh, gas in, uh, in uh, money for, for gas in dollars. Which is hugely destabilizing, which is why the which is one of the main driving forces in inflation and one of the main driving forces in prices of going. You think that you you, you what people don't, in this country don't understand is that most of the world pays these gas prices, hmm. pays like fucking eight dollars. You know, like insane, insane. The gas is so insane that when I was a kid, the UN used to give my dad coupons to pay for the fucking gas because the gas is so expensive in Italy. Hmm. And a side note, there was a, a brand called Q the letter Q and the number eight mm-hmm. when I was a kid and, and during the Iraq war. So that was, that, <laughs> that stuck in my mind. But basically this, the reason that the, uh, the U S is so powerful and it, we, you know, we, we 
get to decide terms and we get to sanction people is because, and I'm sure you know this, I'm not, I don't mean to condescend just to kind of talk about the whole thing, uh, is because we are Saudi Arabia's uh, military. Mm -hmm. We are willing to do whatever the fuck Saudi Arabia wants. We're doing it right now in Yemen. Mm -hmm. And in return, the Saudis make everyone buy uh, shit and oil. Now, we've been talking so much shit about these guys because of, uh, you know, uh, uh, because of uh, Khashoggi and all of this stuff. And, and now we're getting fucked. Now, like, it has been the most belligerent, incompetent economic policy, foreign policy that I've ever seen any fucking, like, in terms of, and, and I know this motherfucker is senile, but that's not an excuse. You know, like, like this is maybe the biggest fuck up in our lifetimes that we may not, like, this is not the 2008 stock market crash. Mm. This is realigning countries. This is forcing China and, and Russia and, and uh, to, 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 to establish relationships, yeah. you know, and the Italians are buying shit in rubles. It's fucking crazy. It is, it is the most insane shit. Like, uh, so I don't even really, what is happening? It's either they don't know what the fuck they're doing or it's worse and they know what the fuck they're doing and I don't know where it's going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the ge geopolitics is the merry-go-round to nowhere yeah. that is going to, I mean, uh, I think that world, world capitalism is going to produce all kinds of horrific crises. That's just what it does. Yeah, and the only like I, I know like there's a lot of um, leftist uh, organizations that will basically their idea of anti-imperialism is they will support anyone that is against NATO, no matter what. I mean, you know, it, it it's it's almost kind of like there's if if you look at what Lenin was saying during World War One. And like the idea of revolutionary defeatism, like the, the workers have no country, like no capitalist nation state is ever going to really solve the basic contradictions of capitalism mm -hmm. for you. It's never going to, I mean, that's just absurd to hope that that would happen. And as long as there's nation states competing over limited resources, it's always going to incentivize war and and you know competition exploitation all that um so it, it seems absurd like there's communists quote unquote who will support putin currently because at least he's against nato and mm. you have to like pick a side and it's like if it was world war one would you be saying that about like czar nicholas it's almost kind of the same situation like russia is not an anti-imperialist country it's an underdog imperialist country yeah every every country is participates in imperialism some are just more i agree with temporarily more successful in it than others i agree with that the one distinction i would make is that and, and i'm not again i'm not apologizing for putin uh, i this is more maybe more related to china i would say Especially because you can't really say that he's not militaristic when he's literally fucking invading somebody. But by comparison, who has the fucking biggest military? And so I, I know that I tend to conflate uh, in this conversation imperialism with militarism, mm -hmm. right? Whereas th that is not the exclusive 
uh, way to refer to imperialism, right? I, I definitely acknowledge that. However, in terms of the goodwill, like in terms of international PR, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really fucking crazy when you have like, you know, the uh, fucking African nations at the UN saying that like, we should fucking just negotiate with Putin because it's fucking them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. Geopolitics is always going to be like this circus of absurd decisions yeah, yeah. As, as long as it's, there's not. So you don't have a solution. No, I mean, I would, the, the, not to sound like a broken record, but I, I think like we should be aspiring to an actual state where revolutionary defeatism could be revolutionary. Like there would be such a thing. Like we, mm-hmm. it, it, everything to me, it's just, all these examples are why there desperately needs to actually be a functional international workers movement that where yeah. there's communication between workers in different countries there's coordinated. I think there was just something that happened about like equalizing wages across um, like supply chain mm-hmm. uh, in different countries. Cause you know, wherever you are, you have radically different, that, that's yeah. one of the reasons why the workers movement is on that's such a low ebb is because you, you can't um you can't bargain because how can you bargain with international companies that can be like well yeah we don't like the terms here anymore sorry we're just going to go here yeah or we're going to automate you out of existence or whatever i mean and the other challenge is uh, i remember when i was first at uh, in community college and there was a discussion Back in the early 2000s, so it was around the time where everybody was talking about uh, sweatshops, mm-hmm. right? And how people were making like cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy who was an immigrant from, I forget exactly where, but somewhere in Latin America. And he was actually defending that because it was letting people live well, right? Because the economic... It's job creators. It's job right? creators. It's the, only, it, it's the logic of capital. Because it's the only game in town. But that, but, right? that, but that is, I think, that's what makes it so, like... Like, dude, you can fight your whole life and die starving. Or you can just fucking, you know, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and it, it is, it, it's... It's hard to fucking argue with someone uh, when it comes to their fucking like it really like conceptually yeah morally blah 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 but it really is just a fucking it's not mm-hmm. it's it's not pragmatic it's not um, yeah I've said it it turns everything into a zero sum game be- yeah. between workers that we would compete for the crumbs from the table you know what I mean like it's like the fucking prisoner's dilemma essentially right like yeah. if I don't do it they're gonna go to somebody else yeah and I'm gonna get fucked I it's, might as well be the one and if I'm the one. At least I can change the system from the inside. There's a kind of uh, like an interesting like um, homology between. I don't know that word. Homology is like like a similar shape at a different scale or a different context. I I know that as fractal. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's funny because there are like communist or socialist parties that are like really critical of like U.S. Democrats. Like they're Mm -hmm. like would never associate with them or whatever. And they make fun of this, like, vote blue no matter who, because it's like, it, why? What, what do we get out of that? But, on, I, I, which is true, it's a valid criticism. But on a kind of higher level, there, there's an irony because these same parties would basically say, like, an, critically support anti-imperialist country no matter who. 
Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Even if it's like a religious like what you were saying theocracy about, yeah, or yeah. if it's Putin. Like Putin promised that he would like decommunize the parts of Ukraine that they're and there's still communist parties that are like, well, Putin is at least not NATO. It's like he promised to decommunize you. Like why it's, are you it's the it's do like, you have this masochism where it's like It's like the fact that uh I don't like Trump Donald Trump and I, I think he's kind of gross, but there's just so much enjoyment it's, I it's get so from easy. watching people to fucking freak out over him. <laughs> well, it's so e he's he's got easy targets. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's like that's the mill coming in. Yeah, whether it's the uh, Marco Rubio or Hillary Clinton or whatever, I mean, it's all like a clown show. So yeah. he's just the only one who's willing to um, make that explicit, which is sad. But like, at least there's occasional humor in it i guess i just thought of something too and I, I i i don't know if this is like legit or anything this is just but i feel like this sort of tokenism that is like supposed to work for like you know uh work for uh minorities and stuff mm -hmm. a lot of latinos voted for trump everybody knows that right and a lot of latinos were also supporting bernie and to me I always think of people like Marco Rubio as like, it's like when someone's like, oh, we just elected the first black this and that. And I'm like, the first, you know, and actually someone recently said that and it was like, and they were like the first black Supreme Court justice. I'm like, bro, that was Thurgood Marshall. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like people are just getting this weird boner for this shit. But like, man, I feel like it, Latinos have had, uh, um, such bad representation so for so much that's just like the whole democratic message is just like you know meanwhile everybody's like we're trying to protect brown people and like the brown people are like shut the fuck up i mean yeah i don't know i wonder how much longer the democratic party can go on with with nothing to show for itself i don't, like, I don't know, know. I don't understand, like, what's supposed to, like, keep motivating people to, like, slam their hand in that car door over and over again. I but. used to be full of rage over it, and now I just acknowledge that everybody's propagandized and that I, to some extent, probably still am and don't see those blind spots, you know? Yeah. And that kind of helps me not fucking yeah. <laughs> rage at people. And, that, and then I can enjoy, like, the idiot. That's the other thing, dude. Man, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of like right wing people, you know, but I, I grew up around a lot of them because I grew up in Miami and I'm Cuban. So mm -hmm. like there's a lot of family like there, but there is, there's a, at some point after George W. Bush, maybe during the Obama years, there came a turn. And then during the Trump years, I really get a kick out of right wing people shitting on libs. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter who shits on a limb if it's a good yeah. point I'm like fuck yeah whereas it used to be like oh no that's coming from that point that that person you know like and I think that that's a break in propaganda for me where I was just like nah if someone makes a good point it's a good point like watching fucking Rand Paul with Fauci it's like one of the most entertaining fucking things where I'm like <laughs> well there's a, I mean it's funny we're on a podcast and there's a whole kind of phenomenon that with the dirt bag left that happened yeah. where it's like kind of exactly what you're saying. And it's gone to, it's gone to really strange places though. Like you, who are you thinking of? Um, well, um, 
you know, there's like Come Town and Red Scare and and those and Chapo podcasts. Trap House. Yeah, Chapo Trap House. Um, I think Chapo ended up just kind of becoming like a DSA I th- voice, I, right? I mean, which is still the Democratic Party. It's like, I mean, let's yeah, like I I stopped listening to them after Bernie. Yeah. Uh, cause they were so into it. I don't know. And, and I, I still catch them on, uh, what's it called? Um, the West Wing thing. Have you listened to that? That's mm-hmm. not, that, that's a little more shit Libby. It's yeah. it, or it straddles the line. I, I mean, I don't, I like Red Scare had, I don't even know if they're, I mean, they, they, you know, that podcast, mm-hmm. like they had, uh, Alex Jones on and, and, um, Steve Bannon and, they didn't really challenge, I mean, they didn't challenge them much. Yeah, yeah. You know, they had them on and they were just kind of almost just amused that they were on there. And it was like novel just because they got this person to appear. Yeah, and, and Tim Dillon had uh, Candace Owens on. Yeah. I mean, it's not that, there, there's a, a like a Twitter personality, I think her name is like Amy Therese or something. And mm-hmm. she's kind of started out as kind of like a Bernie, like supporter and is now just kind of full-on like spitefully just embraces it, whatever like populist position like you know she's i don't know even know what she's on now it's like, like what, what do you think of the um the idea that people are that the democrats are ceding populism to the right I can could be. I mean, I guess like a lot of the right talking points are populist to like small business owners. Like that's kind of their, you know what I mean? It's like, it's populist, but not really, it's not like workers populism necessarily because small businesses are, are like petty bourgeois. They're not like, that's not a proletarian position to pander to. Right? Well, I mean, this I mean, is a small business. I, I'm, Sure. Am I petty bourgeois? Yeah, I guess I, I mean, am. You're Actually, not... you call... oh my god, I'm so called out. <laughs> so is this just since you brought it up? Like, just I'm interested in this idea. Like, are you like making a? Have you are you monetizing this? Are you like, yeah, making I, a living off of doing? this? I'm trying to at this point. Okay. Uh, I mean, I have been making a little bit of money for like through the years, but not after uh, 2020. Uh, we we can we can maybe do this after. Yeah, and then just start wrapping up. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, yeah, after 2020, during 2020, I did wasn't asking for money because no one had work. Yeah. I stopped, so I stopped plugging the Patreon. Right. Uh, and then I've also lost like mad steam because I stopped for COVID and shit like that. Yeah. But uh, I'm using the YouTube algorithm, so it should be faster this time. Hmm. Um, and you know, shit like that. But uh, th- no, I, this, I put an embarrassing amount of effort like into this, like we did with, like we you did with Monta Vista. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was a complete loss. Like I, I think it's interesting, like how people still, like a lot of the one of the main like talking points against any kind of like communist ideas of the world is is like, what? Why would people do anything if they're yeah if they're not like. Because life is fucking boring. Yeah, because like I was like this, uh, you know, kind of weirdo dissident surrealist, like George Bataille, you know, that guy. No, he was um, actually the name. The name rings a bell. He he was part of this. Um, maybe because it rhymes with Takai. Maybe, yeah, he was like a surrealist writer who kind of like fell out with Andre Bataille and like okay, 
did his own thing, like quit the official surrealist. And he wrote weird, like kind of pornographic novels and philosophy tracks. But he had this um, idea that uh, called like, he was really interested in this uh, Northwest Native American ritual called the potlatch, where people uh, like tribes would meet up and they would spend like the months before it was like festival season kind of. Mm-hmm. So they would bring like, you know, all these gifts. They would c- kind of try to competitively outdo their friendly other tribes with gifts giving. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like you, if you didn't give as good of a gift, you would be kind of almost like shamed by that. Oh, wow. And they would create these elaborate like copper plates that were decorative. And the whole purpose of them was to like throw them in the ocean. Oh, in front okay. of your rivals to like be like i got this much blue yeah, like we had time to do all, make this beautiful art we we're gonna throw it in the ocean <laughs> and it, like bataille was really fascinated by that and he had this idea of like useless expenditure yeah like he thought that real he called it general economy where it's economy usually is trying to economize and get the most out of like more yeah. efficient more whatever for him he based his whole general economy on the fact that the sun gave off energy without return mm-hmm. like it was like a pure gift with that you could not return yeah you can't give it back to the sun we tried to return it, it like, earlier today it was fucking so yeah. hot we're like thank I mean, you basically so, thank you sun <laughs> all life on earth is unless you're some weird um obscure crab that lives off the heat vents of lava vents under the ocean all of it is based on the sun's energy. If your if your well, plants, it's really direct. Sun gods are like the most reasonable gods of all. <laughs> and then you start thinking about it, you're like, oh, water gods too, because you can fucking drown. Yeah. The lightning, thunder gods of thunder are important yeah. because of the harvest, you know, and rain. Yeah. Dude, it, it fucking thundered the other day, and I got scared. <laughs> I'm from Florida. I was scared by thunder. I heard that. That was crazy. That, that, I haven't heard anything like that. Maybe it was wacky fucking weather. loud, dude. Yeah. 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 It, and, and you noticed it. So that's how bad it was, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, like, participating in Monta Vista projects, like, I didn't make any money on that. That was, yeah. it, was a, it was a loss. Like, my art, you know, every once in a while I'll sell a painting, but overall it's a loss. I yeah, mean, and that's the whole to, scene to me, that I'm documenting. That's a potlatch. That's yeah. a, it's a gift to the world that I don't really even expect to return on. I don't know if that, I'm I that just, benevolent with the podcast. I mean, I, can't, I just, I can't help doing it. I can't, yeah. I can't not that I make can. art you yeah. know what i mean uh, if even if i'm never compensated monetarily for it it's not the point for yeah. me it's like I, I just can't help doing this it just comes out of me well that's why i like the idea of like man okay the idea of universal basic income has it has its pitfalls right obviously because like how do you protest the government that funds you you know mm-hmm. Looks like they're going to be able to cut off your money <laughs> pretty soon anyway if they just don't like what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> even even without. Uh, uh, so I don't know how good of an argument that is against uh, uh, universal basic income. But the idea of just having the fuck. First of all, if everybody has enough to pay and this is going back to that, this would be more in the positive sense of freedom thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So if everybody has the ability to just pay their bills and feed themselves and stuff like that. First of all, they're probably not going to give a shit who's running the country as much, mm-hmm. right? You're not that worried about that because your needs are taken care of. Um, 
as opposed to like now where you can't worry about what's going on because you need to fucking take care of your needs. Uh, but the, the, like how many people, that's why they, in this country, that's why they didn't get, they gave us $12,000 and then $600. And who gave us less? Mm. Who gave us less? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, almost all politics now is, is who do you have a dependency on? You know what I mean? It's not about like, gaining power for like humanity or whatever it's it's about like who's going to represent you who's going to infantilize you with the gifts that you so you don't like <laughs> rebel or whatever yeah. but like that's why when people in this country are like oh monarchy stand i'm like yo sometimes people live well in monarchies right like <laughs> yeah i mean well that's the crazy part is when that, the interregnum happened in the uk yeah. people freaked the fuck out <laughs> i mean yeah i'm not like a pro monarchist but the the class division was less drastic yes. under that like it's we we have this formal freedom that ends up being not a freedom to really do anything with except aspire to be to join them basically well i mean how big of is the 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 whole argument against the negative sense of freedom i think is sort of the idea of like to what extent does my bubble end and yours begin mm -hmm. right and then you got people like jeff bezos and elon musk their bubbles are fucking huge right right and they don't even have to try because they're almost like fucking demigods their bubbles are like mech armor Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, and not just that. Like, look, remember when fucking uh, 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 Steve Jobs died and they mourned him like he was a fucking monarch? Yeah. Like, people were like, oh, my God. Like, it's, it's the same tendencies. It's just the different, you know, like we got the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. It's uh, over there, I, you know, like over here, our figurehead and our head of state are the same person. Over there, they have, um, you know, the monarch. Although, at some one point, it used to be the monarch was the figurehead and the head of state, right? Yeah. Like when you watch uh, The Madness of King George, have you watched that? Mm -hmm. He taught, he's like, he's taking a piss and he goes, do it, England. Because <laughs> he refers to himself in the third person right. as England. <laughs> the royal we, his pronoun is we capitalized. Right? Yeah. So anyway, man. But uh, so I do, I do think that that is an interesting thing where it's like people are very, um, Are maybe gonna? I don't know what the fuck is is coming. I really, yeah. I've I've never been. I, the only thing I know is that the nation state is losing. It's only gonna cede more power to to multinational corporations. Mm -hmm. I, and you've read Snow well, Crash, right? It's useful to multinational corporations to have the populace broken up into nation states too, because it's like oh a, yeah, no, I just meant in terms of power a, yeah. and influence, I mean, not in terms of yeah. making. Yeah, that's why that's going back to the thing where like your nation is your fucking prison, right? Because mm -hmm. if you if if they go. Like, I would love to go to fucking some poor ass country and make 60 cents a dollar and live like a king. You get mm -hmm. or you like, and a lot of times that's what NGOs do. They'll send you and they'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars and the people you work with, they don't get shit. And so even there, there's that crazy class divide mm -hmm. that that's internationalist. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hopefully, I don't know. I, I think I'm seeing a little bit of like younger people kind of questioning like i guess what mark fisher called like capitalist realism like when it's the only game in town like he's not the only person that talks about that but mm -hmm. like almost all politics is within the, the horizon of that and but that that the horizon of like capitalist logic kind of 
it, its own contradictions kind of help us see a way out of that. You mm. know what I mean? It, it, it's potentially at least its own grave digger because in order to resolve its contradictions, you have to think outside of it. And that like forces the human mind into different horizons. And so... Going back to the thing about the populist left, I'm sorry, were you not finished with? No, your go ahead. Okay, uh, uh, the 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 populist right, they do believe in things like, which is uh, maybe has to do with the generations being younger and a lot of people growing up after the Iraq War and being like, oh, maybe the fucking Republicans, you know, because there was a little tail between your legs after after the Bush era, mm -hmm. right? Um, and therefore, things like uh, 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 healthcare. Right, like na nationalized health insurance and things like that. So I do think that there is like a real concern about things slipping like that. And then the other thing that, um, so they just kicked a guy off of the ballot in illegally in uh, North Carolina. They just kind of broke the rules, and they were just like, "Fuck you, you know, Green Party candidate, you can't be part of the thing, even though you have the uh, signatures." Then they also did this campaign where they started to message the people that were on the uh, that had signed it and like hey they try to scare them and like oh we might lose it do you still want to make sure you, you know the democrats might lose do you still want to so, uh, put put your signature on this or do you want to take it away and then they and then they would say yeah i i want to keep it uh, you know and then it was like oh no and this this was the fucking candidate they were texting with all of this shit right mm. and what it made me realize is that because nobody that votes third party is ever going to fucking vote for a Democrat. Like, you've either made that decision or you're not. Like, I don't know too many people that voted for fucking Ralph Nader that regret that and are like, you know what, man? <laughs> I'm going to fucking vote. Like, the reality is, is that if you're fucking done with Democrats, you're not, not going to vote for them unless maybe it's down ticket shit, right? Mm. You'll go for your presidential candidate and then you'll do the... You maybe be like, because it's easier than voting Republican because mm. you know that they maybe... Well, you, can, you can't really assume that they'll be pro-abortion, yeah. but not. But I think the main problem, the main reason that there is no third party is not because they'll fucking lose this next election. The problem is that if those people that won't vote Democrat but will vote third party start coming out in mass, then those politicians can start offering separate things, different things. They can start actually offering a choice that's not this. And maybe not one election, maybe not two elections, maybe not three. But you'd be surprised at how quickly people would fucking abandon the Democratic Party if they had like a legitimate other opportunity. Maybe not this election, hmm. but that's why they always fighting to suppress that shit. Because if they let that shit slide just a little bit, it grows. It grows. You know, um, the reason Bernie Sanders was not effective is because he could just disband his movement because he wanted to still have his friendships with people you know, it was, he didn't want to, he would, didn't want to be a class trader ultimately. Right. So if what, you, what kind, <laughs> what do you, well, like what he, class is he part of? <laughs> well, he's a millionaire now. Right. And he's, he's been a politician for all this time. So yeah. he like fucking eats meals with these people. Right. Like yeah. these are the relations. If, if I'm working at the NRA <laughs> and I have all my friends there, I'm probably going to have a different, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be like a little bit mealy mouth and wishy washy about you know, gun control. So I don't, I, I mean, I think legitimately, like there's literally nothing else 
after fucking abortion, what the fuck else are you going to, are you going to run on? Like you're going to run on something that you could literally fix right now because you have the people in Congress to do that. And you're not going to even try. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think we're going to vote our way out of the contradictions of capital. Oh no, I don't like, think so either. So I, I, I don't even think. Even like, with a third party. No, I don't think so at all. Yeah. I'm just saying that like, I, I'm not saying that a third party is even the solution. I'm uh-huh. just saying that's where the fear comes from. Yeah. Right? Like I don't, you know, it's not but that but but that goes against the that goes for the argument as to like why you should even let it happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's fucking illusion that it steals votes. Most people don't vote. Exactly. And if you gave them something to vote for, yeah. then they would vote. So it's a like they're both engaging in voter suppression. Mhm. Yeah. It's about control. I think. Anyway. I guess I, I always end up in this kind of place where I'm so critical of everything that, uh, you know, you start to wonder, like, is this just kind of, like, idealist? Or, you know, is this going to lead to any actual practice or anything? I, I, I feel like I, it's just attempting to be, like, baseline honest. You know what I mean? Like, I think the real utopian... This is something like Zizek says every three sentences, but uh, I think it's true. Like I think the the real utopian idealism nowadays is to think that somehow things can keep going on, yeah, in in a similar way on the same trajectory, and be sustainable. <laughs> like that is really like I well I think that that's what the pro- proletariat is doing. I think that these other people probably have a plan because they think they can buy their way out of everything. You know, whether, I mean, it's probably not going to Mars because that sounds fucking asinine. Mm. But the idea of like, not everything here is going to suck. What's going to happen is that people like natural disasters are going to displace people. We're going to see Katrina's. We're going to see like, uh, you know, huge tsunamis and shit like that. And there's going to be refugees and we're not going to know what to do with them. And refugees, rich people, you know, like all my human fucking people, (laughs) all all, all my people in Miami that left that were aristocrats. Mm. It's not difficult to be a refugee in the, under, under those conditions. Yeah, you leave your shit behind. Yeah. You, you lose your fucking money, but you got money to get out of the country. You don't have to fucking jump on a raft, right? You can go to Mexico like my dad did. You can pay for a ticket for your daughter like my mom did. Mm-hmm. There's people that couldn't do that shit. Like, you know, there's also people that didn't want to do that shit because they were not the ones that were targets of that revolution. Yeah, I guess, I mean, capital needs crises to, it needs to just periodically destroy large chunks of itself yeah it's like, that's why build. we're in that 10 year cycle of yeah. like you know uh, occupy wall street or you know the financial crash yeah. the the covid shit like it's funny to me like speaking of like just pharma stuff made me think of like how um it's interesting that like social media tends to like pick a figure like like martin shkreli or something mm-hmm. who's like a scumbag but like he's just doing what well, that's the same thing. Every every pharma executive is incentivized Trump, to do. Trump is the Screlly of like fucking politicians. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a weird kind of illusion of perspective that happens with like kind of liberal media where it's this idea that if only we got rid of like these bad actors who are like, you know, motivated by inscrutable just desire to do evil, then that would solve things. You know what I mean? They, like there's, there's no like... <laughs> 
we replaced analysis of of like underlying contradictions of of our whole system we replaced trump with biden and people were very mad at trump over ukraine bullshit and like the shit that the corruption that's going on with fucking biden and the laptops and all that stuff like it's fucking crazy like yeah, you, you it's know not, it's not that different it's exactly the same thing it's actually worse <laughs> it's just friendlier <laughs> it's it's worse I, I mean then then i guess like yeah, that's so okay. True. Hold on. So l- let me just recap because I just said it's worse, and I want to be clear on what I mean. Okay, Trump tried to get dirt on an opponent and threatened to withhold military aid. This other motherfucker <laughs> got his his son got a job so that uh, got a job at Burisma at an energy company, and, and if you remember, this war has to do with energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's it called? It's like. He's like, he's, he, so that he could get access. Like, you know, what, which one's more competent? <laughs> yeah, do you, do you want who's a, the competent Trump here? <laughs> right. Do you want, do you want someone who's competent or, and, and makes you feel good, like everything's fine? Or yeah. do you want someone who makes you alarmed and enraged and wants to, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, any parting thoughts? Anything that that, that uh, you maybe want to get correct and be like, uh, I don't agree with this crazy person? No. I, no? Okay. <laughs> <probably>, You're not <laughs> worried I'm going to get you canceled for saying that I, maybe only 16,000 people died? Canceled from <laughs> where? I'm not, I'm not anyone that has a platform. Um, I'm, not, I'm not worried. I'm not saying anything that controversial. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. I uh, definitely do want to make some uh, crazy uh, synthwave shit with you at some point. So, uh, I was I was bummed that I didn't bring my uh, micro freak, but then I was like, there's no I, fucking I way. I need to I see that in person sometime. I just had weird... so much shit. I live really close. And yeah. I was thinking this was your studio. This is actually your house. So it's, it's not too inconvenient. Yeah. No, it's only your house. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do any more work here. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, anything that we can plug for you, man? Uh, not really. Just uh, Justin Michelle dot com. Yeah. That's okay. Or and uh, and at Michelle Instagram underscore Justin at Instagram. I think I was there already it. a Justin Michelle. Yeah. Ah. There's like a writer. Um, and there's just some random. There's no other Javier Proenza on social media, but there is yeah, a there is a what's my thesis dot com that I'm very upset. What about. was our thesis? I don't know if we is it important that we have one. Oh no, what's my thesis is a question. Okay. It's not an answer. Yeah, I don't know if I have one. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, trying to get you to I'm solve just throwing, You're just throwing, throwing concerns. spaghetti at the wall and you're throwing, see what sticks. You're just bumming us out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I am. It's all with no solutions. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, I contributed a little bit to the bumming out. Let's bum everybody out yeah. to the point where... I had to stop doing that when people weren't coming in to bum people out. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That was part of me getting better. I mean, it's easy I used to, to do. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of raw material for, yeah. the, for the bumming out mill. Oh, shit, man. It's, it's not a fun but time. I, I do think like, it's We're important, like it's hours, important to be way. honest. And like, if, if shit's bleak, start from there. Like, yeah, I think be that able that... to articulate how bleak it is. You know what I mean? Did you watch the last Matrix movie, the 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 no, Reloaded one? I heard it was terrible. Oh, I really fucking liked, oh, you it. liked it. Yeah, but I, I did a it. bunch of drugs when I watched it. Carl uh, I did not like it. I don't know if he saw it or he was just describing it. We we're both like, oh no. Yeah. Well, there's a whole thing about free will okay. in that, and 
there is an element. This is of, Matrix Four. We're talking yeah. About? Okay. Yeah, they're never gonna make another one because it bombed. Yeah. But it's in my opinion, it's number one and number four are the best ones. Hmm. Um, because it's almost like number four is almost like it's a uh essay video essay about all the discourse because i don't know if you know the matrix has like a lot of philosophical uh shit to tossed in there so people like read like you know read that shit with highlighters <laughs> and stuff mm. you know like it's like uh and so they address all of that in the movie but to some point I don't want to give too much away, but there is a question as to whether or not it is okay to wake someone up, which was not an element that was in the other ones. Mm. Like in the first three Matrixes, they're just like, we pull people out, like it's all good. Yeah. In this one, there's like, you know. Is that even ethical? Yeah, is yeah. it even ethical? And that's an interesting thing because yeah. it's like, yeah, you're talking about how we're, we're how we see the world, but I don't think a lot of people can handle that, you know? I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I'm not sure why we could even. Like, what's, whatever, just detached or something? Something's or? wrong with us, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I recently found out that uh, dyslexia is a neurodivergence, so, <laughs> so I'm going to use that as an excuse. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that shit is, it's, it's, a, it's a very crazy idea of like, that's kind of part of my coping even like when I'm talking to someone who's like a shit lib. And they're my friend, mm. <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> I think, are we making eye contact so, and thinking so of the same person? So what's going on in your mind? <laughs> yeah. No, and so so like so. I don't to, know who you're talking about. Oh no no no. So uh, so to me, it is more of a thing of like recognizing that may, that person yeah. is not ready for me to fucking rant at them. About how fucked they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because my dad is a extreme contrarian. Yeah. Like, kind of like conservative libertarian. Mm -hmm. So, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And, um, but I, I find him easy to talk to because we both like are so kind of like left field that. Yeah. We hate the same things for really different reasons, and it's kind of fun to compare. Like, why well, hate the same thing? But like, oh, I hate that for a completely yeah, different reason than you. Isn't that interesting? It goes to that thing about like really enjoying watching Republican, uh, you know, Republicans shit on shit lips. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain, I guess, there's a certain aspect of like watching really bleak news where if if it's all like if it's all your enemies. Like it's you kind of can just bring popcorn and just like oh that's interesting you I hate you both and you're fighting like I, guess I can take my time and do something else like here's where I'm at dude I want Hillary to run again just for comedic value I would have the best like I'm just so beyond everything that I would I would fucking relish her running again. Against and, and, Trump? Like, yes, why, why don't we just yes, do that every I wanna, four years? We'll yes. just have them run against I each other. I want it so bad. I know it's not going to happen because <laughs> I want it too bad. But I would fucking love... Like, think about that. Let, like, she has the hubris where she would not understand why that's even a bad idea. Yeah, like, no. Well, why? well people, why people are writing articles about that now. Yeah. And they're like, there's whispers. And I'm like... Mm. But I'm like, but please. <laughs> I, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's hard to even it would be the mo like it would just it would be the logical conclusion of the democratic party yeah 
I mean, they won last time. I thought they were like probably going to shit the bed and be dead. Now, nah, COVID. But, yeah, COVID. But, but, but. COVID because, was like, I don't know if Trump can ever recover from having I think he can. COVID. I, I think he can because uh, Biden is worse. I think I think they're just qualitatively different. I don't know which one is worse. No, on COVID specifically. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's like, do you want herpes or gonorrhea? I don't know. One stays with you for life, and it's relatively mild. The one is like bad, and then it goes away. I don't know who's who. Oh man, you know you're just STDs. I didn't that's know about this. You've never heard that metaphor before? No. Oh, that's like, I'm not, no. That's like I, mean, a m- I mostly m- hang mimetic, out at, you know. I mostly hang out at churches, though, so <laughs> you're not going to hear that there. Yeah. All right, man. Well, okay. We'll leave it on that. And I really appreciate you coming on. It was nice to hang out. We've never really had a chance to do this. It's funny. We didn't really got... talk about art. We could do a whole other podcast about oh, art no. if you wanted. Everybody's always like surprised. that That's not like this. The show is artists talking about what they're into. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, art is cool. But Let's like... talk about obscure Italian communists from, yeah. from 100 years ago. It's what my thesis. <laughs> it's what I want to learn. Yeah. Uh, what about collaborating? And, and the, the not that he's a shit lib, but he is a he is a CNN watcher. Kellen, do you guys ever get into conversations about that kind of stuff? Sure. I mean, we all like. I there's something to, there's something to hate about the world with any <laughs> worth hating, and you're like, yeah, that no, does. I suck. love I love him. That, 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 no, we get along great. I mean, that's to me. That's one of those things that's so crazy. Is like people are like on the surface so like oh no these people like these opinions are bad but like i'm sure i have some odious opinions in his mind (laughs) we we all do let's all just cancel each other and get it over with and then start over Uh, i love you kellen (laughs) i mean i think a lot of people if i start talking and you know I, i think a lot of people on paper would agree with a lot of what i would what kind of world i would want but you know, it's, I think it's understandably hard for a lot of people to imagine a world outside of the options that are given because there literally is nothing on the table that's presented. Like we would, you know, like it's a long shot. It might not ever happen. Like we might just descend into capitalist hellscape and become extinct as a species. That that's, that's more likely, maybe, than I'm just getting our shit together and and getting out of this. (laughs) So I don't know what to offer, but I don't know if I'm counting wrong, but like I, I said, I always just try to have a baseline honesty. Yeah. That like, if you're gonna solve bleak situations, you have to at least start from the truth. Yeah. Yeah, an honest appraisal of what it is, and yeah, I, I in a way like it's cathartic to just describe the bleakest possible reality that you can because at least like articulate it, you, you're not gonna do anything without if you can't even articulate what it is yeah so it, it at least feels like something proactive to, to even be able to accurately describe the world you live in yeah and it's like a herculean effort that it takes to even approach that because it's so wrapped in so many layers of like obfuscation and and um you know, just everyday ideology, like it, ideology is what you do every day. It's mm-hmm. what it's, it's the fact that you keep coming back and trying to do things the same way. You know what I mean? It's even oh, yeah. if, even if you take like a cynical distance from it, you're still, you really believe in it if you keep doing it. 
you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I, I think I think like some like chaos magic shit you just said. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> it's like fucking ritual magic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, like um definitely can't disagree with that. I mean, and I would definitely say that there's I think that I I think there is a, a like super market fundamentalism is a kind of superstition. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean it's the it's the religion of our world. It's yeah. it's the and and to I to think that the market will solve everything is is a blatantly superstitious idea that it flies I don't in the think anyone of, actually believes that. I I mean uh, or I don't think anyone that benefits from that belief actually believes yeah, that. Yeah, I mean that's an extremist, but still No, but like, but I'm saying like I don't think I I think that Anybody who says that they believe in the free free market is like full of shit. They just believe in making money without regulation. They don't actually think that they don't believe in the myth that the that that is intrinsic in the ideology that the market will fix everything because if they did, they wouldn't ask for fucking bailouts. You know, like they they know I mean there's some like libertarians that are like you yeah, know we should let it collapse like let the two big companies fail and, and those are those are not because what we have is not real capitalism and, okay well then those which is guys... funny because i like if you're kind of like uh if you're defending communism a lot you get in this kind of trap where people are like oh you so everything that happened is not real communism which i would be like yeah it's not but um it's funny that there's there's the opposite end of like this is not real capitalism. There's like yeah. you know like uh, I forget the like there's there's like anarcho capitalists out there. Have you ever encountered these people? No, that's what we live. That's yeah. where we're headed. Yeah. That's like literally like anarcho capitalism where it's like there's no police force. It's private security mm -hmm. forces. Everybody, you know, yeah. like. Like it's all we're already there. It's not like the police serve the poor. There's people who actually believe that there's like I don't know if you call it utopian, but that it's like will produce a better world. It's like yeah. we're already kind of yeah, like you said, we're already. You can we're see just where that's going. Are you into. sure? You're, it's well, right you've, there. You've re have you you've read uh, Snow Crash? Uh -uh. You you uh, you're a huge sci-fi guy. I thought I didn't bring it I up know, I have at weird the gaps in it. I, w I didn't bring it up at the party because I thought it was too cliche when we were talking about... No, I, should, I should do Snow the audio book for Snow Crash. Snow Crash like is great. It's classic that you always hear. Like, yeah, it's, um, it's about anarcho-capitalism. Hmm. It's fucking awesome, but it's a horrible place to live. Right. Good, good book. <laughs> good wouldn't book. Wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> good book, great heroes, but their life sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome and there's a lot of action, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's the gig economy. That's like, you know, it's, it's everybody's an independent. It's the fucking uh, great reset. It's that right. uh, you will own nothing and be happy. I wonder, I mean, we could go on. I, we don't have to turn this off. We could keep going. It's, it, what's interesting to me is like about predictions that Marx made was that, um, you know, he, he was writing at the very beginning of the Industrial Revolution and it was mm. like capitalist capitalist production was on the ascendancy right because yeah. and it was growing and it needed a workforce so the, the portion of the world that was like it wanted to sink its teeth into and were vital to its growth was growing mm. and what if we've like reached a stage where um because a lot of it's it's a lot of the richest people in the world now like zuckerberg or um uh, 
Jeff Bezos or whatever, they they own they don't they're not a they don't own a factory or something. They own like the platform, right, mm. that, that people use. And so it's kind of more like like when you if you have like the labor theory of value, right? That that makes sense if you're doing if you're producing items that can be for all intents and purposes reproduced infinitely, right? Like if you're making like pencils or spoons or cars mm. or whatever the fuck like th these aren't like um they can be luxury items but the, the point is that you're competing with other firms to produce something that is not unique it's mm -hmm. a mass-produced mm -hmm. item that so where the value of that comes from is that it's it represents the embodiment of a certain amount of labor mm -hmm. right that's like the labor theory of value that's like not even marx that's pre-marx that's like david ricardo and whoever mm -hmm. like the economists that he was critiquing were but if you have a so that's one way that like value is manifest in like price or whatever like exchange value right mm -hmm. is a representation on in some level of like embodied labor that someone has done at some point uh, but the other the other way that you can get rich in this world is not necessarily exploiting labor but exploiting I mean, you still are, like, obviously Jeff Bezos is, but you you can exploit a monopoly of whatever kind, like, a, a, of land, a valuable land that has resources on it, of intellectual property, copyright, whatever. So that's almost more like, you know, Marx had this idea that over time, the tendency of the rate of profit would decrease, mm -hmm. and that's what causes crises. Because capitalism is always kind of acting against its own contradictory tendency to to be able to make less on investment, mm -hmm. because you when you it's a really simple idea when you have two companies that compete, one of them can have a, a advantage if they can be more uh, of a higher productivity with like automating certain things, but and for a limited time until the rest of their competitors catch up and also adopt that technology yeah. they'll have an edge because they can produce with like less work less labor they have to pay so if you suddenly invent like the cotton gin or whatever like labor saving device you have a competitive edge and so it incentivizes like making labor obsolete even though labor exploitation is the lifeblood of how yeah. capitalist profit happens so i well, I mean, since there was since slavery was abolished, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but now, um, you know, if if you have control, if you have like a unique work of art, like if you have the Mona Lisa, or if mm -hmm. you have like a brand name that only you're supposedly allowed to produce, like Nike, or you know what I mean, like, or if you have a IP like Adobe Creative Suite or something, you you can also leverage a monopoly even if you're not like exploiting labor to the same degree or, or even able yeah. to exploit labor so that's a kind of like a but i would we're, say that we're getting in this weird phase maybe of capitalism where it's oh, it's almost like back to feudalism in a way because it's based on like rent like adobe yeah. creative suite the model is to like be like to charge everyone rent for software you can't even like buy the software and just have it then yeah because you have same to, thing with Pro Tools. You it's have to, fucking a thousand dollars a year. Yeah, you have to pay. You're paying rent to someone who has a yeah. monopolistic title over like a certain like 
you know, no, property. it is. I mean, the, the Pro Tools is a perfect example because it's an industry standard. So to be part of the industry mm. or to adhere to those standards, you have to fucking do it. But if you're a freelancer mm. <laughs> and you like you most of the time you want to use shit like Adobe Premiere and whatnot, uh, as opposed to, you know, which is a much cheaper rental mm. uh, than fucking than than Pro Tools, which is like an insane amount of money to fucking invest in. So <clears throat> it makes it almost prohibitive. To it, it becomes a barrier, of, uh, like to entry, mm. uh, into certain industries at like as a consequence of that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing, hold on, let me see if I can remember it. Is that we still have all the same laws in the books that broke up monopolies in the past. Yeah, <laughs> like all of that shit is still in place. Now, why are they not? implementing it because the business is not the same as microsoft right microsoft is was not a company that could censor people that could you know be like we're gonna make this fucking we're gonna make chris hedges disappear entirely from the internet you mm -hmm. know like he's done he's worked on this show for six years we're just gonna take it we're gonna completely you know six years worth of labor completely gone i lost my account for for instagram you know four years worth of work just promoting the podcast all of that I can't even put it on my resume anymore because now I only have like a hundred and something some odd followers. Mm. And it is um it is a way of controlling what the discourse is entirely, yeah. right? <clears throat> because now instead of regulating these people, they have like a little bit of a of a relationship where it's like, you know, if let's say Hillary Clinton has an embarrassing photograph. She could probably get it scrubbed, yeah. you know. Can we? No. Mm. And uh, and it's an interesting relationship that's happening because there is incentive for the legislators. I mean, there, there's so many things that are fucking wrong with our our, our legislature. Mainly the reason, the, like they are the ones that are supposed to declare war. They won't do it because any war that they vote for is going to be just to get to, for them to camp, to campaign against them, but they want the war, so they just leave the fucking authorizations from uh, from the Bush era. So you're never going to get them to legislate on war. You're never going to get them to legislate on abortion. That shit is like... I mean, if they're not doing it now, that's never fucking going to happen. Like, mm. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. It's a sad thing. I'm not telling you with, with glee. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, is a, it is an interesting thing because... Our country hasn't changed. Our politicians have, and their priorities have, in in that mm -hmm. sense. Because, like, I don't know if you remember, um, they used to fucking pie, uh, Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. Do do you do you yeah, ever see that, that footage? Yeah, yeah, he's just fucking like, and and that was in the it, it, that was when he was doing that debt thing. The the what's it called? The debt imperialism that we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, where he was just locking in uh, all of Africa into the, his operating system so that they were. You know, he was giving it away for free, but then mm -hmm. updates and all of that shit. And right. just your whole your whole ecosystem is based on that. You anybody who's tried to leave Apple knows how fucking serious of a fucking thing that is. I think maybe like if we're ever gonna move past a capitalist world, I think maybe we'll get some insight in how to do that from like addiction recovery, mm -hmm. because it really is like it, it it incentivizes and intensifies all addictive cycles. Like, yeah. um, like meth is almost like the perfect capitalist commodity because it's super cheap to make. It's, um, it, you know, you can expand the market <laughs> indefinitely and 
I mean, it, it destroys its own base after a while, but it it's can... also weird because it just it 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 uh, like capitalism just rewards sociopathy, uh -huh. right? Like that's the profit margin, yeah. or the profit motive is like all about like you know, if you're okay, the the less empathy you have, the better you are at your job. Yeah, yeah. Like as far as like platforms too, like there's a lot of. Um, cases in which uh, like amazon actually takes a loss on some of the items they sell yeah just in order that's to, what uber to, did to kill the competition in certain strategic places yeah that's that's the same thing that uber it, like that now it's market disruption and what they do is they just have the resources to disrupt the market at a loss and then when all the competition is gone then they can start to fucking charge the premiums and make and start to make the profits. Oh, I don't even know if like I, I haven't checked, but I can't imagine that Uber's profitable yet. I don't know. I mean, there's still competition. Like there's Lyft and stuff, right? I don't know if they've yeah. like completely saturated the. And then going back to Neo Libs, who was the one that made that shit possible? Eric Holder mm -hmm. was a fucking uh, was fighting to make Uber uh, be able to disrupt markets in like like that and all these people and that's not to say that there's not problems with like the industry in itself you know i'm i know that it wasn't great for like taxi uh, cab drivers but now motherfuckers are in debt and they can't pay it off because their industry and but they still owe the money for the fucking uh for the industry to, to the industry that that has been disrupted it's like the fucking craziest thing yeah anyway evil genius <laughs> we should wrap up because i'm actually worried this one's not gonna die on me but i'm worried okay. that that one's gonna die on me all right uh but it has been a pleasure dude I, we yeah, could hopefully this would be the start of future conversations yeah, yeah too, for sure i would um, definitely have you back on easily like yeah. especially uh maybe in your studio next time at, at, at a more reasonable temperature yeah uh sometimes i like like when i talk to someone i feel like i'm some strange uh thing that's been left in the fridge for a really long time <laughs> and it's, it's like become all kinds of strange colors oh that's why i do like, it Whoa, that's just, it's cynical <laughs> in there <Ooh. laughs> we need like a getting acquainted period where we're even like speaking the same language no no i mean i feel like we've been on the same yeah, page yeah. All, all this time uh i've been excited since we had the conversation the other day i didn't mean to start it with trotskyism i think maybe the right <laughs> question would have been like tell me about lefty shit <laughs> yeah. yeah like what are you into are you yeah, yeah but um but yeah, man, we'll definitely have you back on for sure. Because that's also just the convenience of like coming here. <laughs> if I get desperate, yeah, let's do a. Well, it's I don't I don't feel like I'm an expert on anything either, which is like fine. Oh no, like, I don't is... feel like I need to be. But like, well, the whole it's... point is that I want artists to talk about what they're into because, first of all, they're into it. Secondly, it's easier than talking about yourself, hmm. right? Like I think. Usually, even I, even at, like I, I can tell by ten minutes in, I always do like a little like, "Hey, where are you from?" A little edge. I can already feel the guest is like, "All right, let's get to the topic," <laughs> because it's a crutch. And then some people are like, "Nah, no topic." Some people can talk about themselves a lot. I, I'm not that interested in myself. No, really. no. You know what I mean? Well, I'm like... also not that interested in people. <laughs> I'm interested in what they're interested in, yeah. not their fucking exactly. personal history. Right. <laughs> you know. And then uh, also like. It almost on this show. I mean, I, I, I that's not. This is this is gonna sound weird. I do like your work, and I've told you I like your work. Mm. Um, I am not always interested in only having people whose work I like mm. because who the fuck am I? Yeah, I'm not always interested in talking about art either. Oh yeah, yeah. like in a certain way, I feel like there's a there's a um, 
expectation that when you make art, it's like to talk about because, you know, you go through grad school or whatever and that's all you do. It can and be really masturbatory. I, I feel like artists don't really run the art world and that's kind of a shame. Like, yeah. you know, like I don't think there's not the same expectation that music is supposed to like have a thesis. If like, art, what's, yeah, what's yeah. your thesis? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Not that your show is like about what's your art thesis, but like, no, no. that's when you, you know what I mean? Like what's your thesis is like, is, is, is like, what's your topic? And then also, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking yeah. about. I and feel, it's okay if you don't. Like sometimes, even though I went through that, academia mill and i i can talk about art if i have to in some ways why i'd make visual art is because there's things that are better explored non-verbally you know what yeah. i mean like it's a field where you can actually just respond and to, Sometimes. to the world around you visually and i think like in some way that's like since the 60 since like kind of the end of modernism or whenever that was that's that's not really it's looked down upon i think in a way like that you're you know like duchamp called disparagingly certain art that he called retinal which was like just about like you know i guess like op art would be like mm -hmm. a good example of that although i do like some op art but no, i get, I, I, get I love all that shit too i'm saying that no, no, i like I that what, yeah yeah i i find look man the reality is is that if you start talking about the art world you're going to be talking about a lot of white dudes which, which is, which is like, which is why I don't, you know, and not that I have like, but like, I have a lot of women on the show. I try to have uh, diverse people, you know, I try to have gay people on the show and no one's forbidden from talking about art. The one thing that I try to stay away from is like, uh, you know, if we talk, if we're like looking at your painting mm -hmm. and we're describing it, cause that's like tedious to listen to on a podcast, yeah. Yeah. but Sometimes we have talk conversations about art and it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, but, like, but not I, everybody wants to talk about art. Art yeah. art it okay. I wish in a certain way I, I wish I could just be an a visual artist and never have to talk about the work. Yeah. Like one time I saw and it's funny cuz this artist is I, I saw Raymond Pettibon talk once in mm -hmm. Chicago and he has a lot of text in his art. So his art is already talking and yeah. he's like his art addresses like topical things that like critics and writers would love because there's plenty to talk about there. I think sometimes if you make art that isn't easy to talk about, it just completely gets ignored. <laughs> or you like, almost have to have like a gimmick, like it's a prop for like writers and critics to write about. Or some of my conceptual stuff, it's like I, I can tell I can tell you what the premise is and you'll get it, but it's not the same thing as experiencing right, exactly. the, the piece, right? Yeah. So it 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 gets uh it's tr it's tricky it yeah. it really like and 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 i respect podcasts that are just full on art and some of them are way more successful than this one mm. so i i i have no grudge it's just more of what good can i do yeah. <laughs> when i saw raymond pettibon speak uh -huh. he was so awkward and unable to like get a full sentence out that part of me was like rejoice like if he can like have an art career, <laughs> career yeah, then yeah. like you really, maybe that's a ray of hope that you don't have to necessarily always be able to to, to speak to talk it. about it to, to do yeah. it. You know? I'm not even. It's not even that I'm afraid to do it. Uh, you know, like because I can hang, but and and it kind of comes up peripherally. Yeah. We just had a very. We're just also fucking lefty nerds, so mm -hmm. we got very much into those weeds. But um, you know, people will talk to me about painting. It's it's it's. I'm not. I. 
I just want people to have the ability to talk about whatever they want mm-hmm. because like like it like like you can't go on a date and be like, "Hey, tell me about what the fucking <laughs> coolest shit is." But you kind of try to make that happen, you know? Like it's the same shit except I just don't fucking finesse you. I'm like, "Here, talk about what you want. I want to talk about what you want to talk about." <laughs> yeah. Right? Like it, it's it's but that's when it's most successful, I find. Mm-hmm. When it's most interesting, when someone gets to talk about what they're passionate about, yeah. you know. It's nice if, you can have these like kind of long form discussions too. Like that's yeah. what podcasts are good for. Well, I, I mean, I have. I was thinking about I, I, like a lot of people don't like Joe Rogan because he like um, promotes like he gives a platform to people certain people don't like, and also like he he's like getting people to take horse tranquilizer, yada yada. It's like I I think the the good thing, even if you don't like him, is like that. How how often before the, the internet did you ever? How Watch a TV show where the, someone actually talks about something for more than like two minutes. You know what I mean? No, and that's like just why having like long form discussions. That's why is, he's is destroying the news media. Yeah. You, you like okay. First of all, just a slight correction because I it is my industry now, and I am very well versed in this. He invented the long form podcast. Hmm. People used to tell him to stop to cut his podcast down for because it was like three hours long. This is, I, I tend to go like an hour. That's usually my, my, you know, if it goes long, I, I always, you know, if I'm friends with someone, it usually will go long too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, that is why he is destroying everybody mm-hmm. because there is nowhere else that you can do that. And while I was driving over here, I was going to say, uh, um, I was thinking about it and I, and I, there was an addendum afterwards to the thought but i was like you know if i've sat down with you and i've talked to you for an hour i probably know you better than most people that i run through a gallery and like see talk to for 10 Mm -hmm. minutes and see and have that relationship with them for like three months Mm -hmm. you know like let's say i see you yeah yeah, we're gonna be familiar like our relationship has gotten deeper just because we've had this conversation Mm -hmm. even though we've spent time in spaces together and yeah, I think people don't talk on the phone as much as they used to anymore. either. Yeah. And now, and, and I do that now. now after podcasting, I'll straight up call up like friends and just be like, yo, fucking we're mm-hmm. doing this. <laughs> and yeah. they, even if they're like a little weird. You're busy? Because it's not going to be a, like a one minute call. It's oh, going to yeah, be yeah, like yeah, a sit down yeah. visit. And um, I should do that more. I miss my friends on the East Coast. Yeah. We used to talk on the phone a lot. And the only people I talk on the phone extended are family members. They're going to be like, is everything okay, man? Yeah. <laughs> Are you dying? <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, and and I basically consider everybody that has been on the show that I've talked to for at least an hour, like I consider them a friend, not like at least a step beyond acquaintance, right? Yeah. Until they don't promote the show. <laughs> <laughs> then they're enemies. And then I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I guess we're not friends. <laughs> I thought you loved me. <laughs> you mean like the... The show in general or the show? Like, like their episode when they don't like oh, put man. it on Instagram. Wait, so I'm going to have to like put images and sound of myself out there? You're going to have to share. People you, to... Yeah, yeah. That is the problem that, oh. that, that artists have. Yeah, <laughs> That's why I'm using YouTube now so that I don't have to depend on, <laughs> on you motherfuckers to promote me <laughs> and let you, you know, here I am showing you my, <laughs> to my whole audience and motherfuckers are like, I'm shy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. As long as I don't have to watch it. Yeah, you don't you don't have to watch it. You can just share it. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. All right. 
Uh, anyway, we'll talk soon. And, uh, and then uh, th I need to come up with a sign off. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> Chimney Crickets, thanks for watching the show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think that's going to be it. <laughs> I got hit with inspiration. All right. <laughs> and I think that like that's lasting. I think that's going to be it from now on. All right. Chimney Crickets. <laughs> thanks Chimney Crickets. Thanks for hell. watching. Oh, well, maybe see you in well, hell. That's already taken. That's Red Scare. All right. All right. Uh thanks again and we'll see you guys uh next week.